Welcome to the Untangling Web3 podcast, your go-to hub to learn insights and the latest developments in the wild and wonderful world of Web3. I'm Alec Burns. And I'm Jack Davis. Tune in each week as we navigate and explore the rapidly emerging landscape of the Web3 technologies, projects, and ideas that are shaping the future of the internet. We'll be talking to the best and brightest in the industry to keep uncovering insights. So that hopefully we can all learn together on our journey to untangle Web3. Welcome to another episode of the Untangling Web3 podcast. Today, we're delighted to be joined on the show by Mona Teasler. Mona is a venture capital investor focused on investments in Web3 and startups utilizing blockchain technology. She's currently an investment manager at Tokentus Investment, a German VC firm specializing in funding Web3 infrastructure and financial services companies. Mona is also a co-founder of Timely, a click and collect food marketplace, is a member of Global Women in VC and holds an MBA from the European Institute of Business Administration. So without further ado, welcome, Mona. Lovely to have you. Hi, thank you very much. Hey, Mona, it's very exciting to have you here. How are you doing today? Good, very well. How are you guys? I'm great, thank you. I'm very well. I'm super excited about this episode, to be honest. Yeah, very well, thank you. It's, just, it's funny how often people don't ask us how we are, so it's nice <laughs> for once to get that question back. Thank you. <laughs> So, okay. uh, Mona, why don't we kick off? Um, it, you know, venture capital, it's a word that is used everywhere, but I think very few people actually know what it means. I mean, even even I, like I've had some experience with venture capitalists in the past, and I don't think I know what it means. So what is venture capital? Well, I would say it's the, the process of investing in startups, so young businesses that, you know, as a venture capitalist, you believe have long-term growth potential. Um, what that means is essentially um, a venture capital investor usually takes money that is put into a fund from other investors and then uses his or her knowledge, research, expertise to find uh, small businesses or startups in a specific area. In my case, it's Web3 slash blockchain um, to kind of figure out which are the, the truffles, the best startups in the space, and um, then gives them money in order for them to grow, such as, you know, hire or do marketing or hire, uh, you know, hire a developer team to produce the product uh, as such, and then hopefully, you know, grow to be the next big, for example, Google. Um, and therefore, when then they exit or they do an IPO or they're bought, um, then all the people that put in money in the first place get a nice chunk of money back. So hopefully much more than they put in um, initially. Okay, sure. Yeah, that, that makes a lot. That's kind of tallies of what I, my understanding was. Um, 
and, and maybe you could also situate venture capital in terms of the other different funding models that maybe explain a bit about the kind of size of the ticket of investment you might make, you know, typically, because I know there are lots of different ways that startups can get money, you know, they might have some seed capital, they might go through venture capital, or even, you know, get acquired by a, a, a private equity firm. So maybe if you could explain a bit about how venture capital differs from the other method, method mechanisms of funding, that would be really interesting. Well, so first of all, I mean, as a very young startup, you, you do have a few different options. Um, you could either, you know, take angel investor money. So angel investors are usually individuals that have some uh, private funding to distribute. So um, they might want to invest in uh, startups in a specific area. Um, also in, in terms of, you know, potentially might be very helpful for the startup as an advisor um, and help the startup grow. So then you give away some of your equity to these angel investors. These usually come in really early um, and hopefully are really, really helpful to the founders mm. and not just with money, but also with their expertise or, you know, knowledge and wisdom. Um, and um, then you have grants. So there are a variety of different grants. You can get grants from the government. You can get grants from various organizations and in the Web3 space, a lot of the ecosystems or, you know, foundations have uh, grant programs, um, which you can also apply to if you have, you know, some sort of um, relationship to, to the layer one blockchain. For example, you're building on Ethereum, there's an Ethereum foundation that may give you a grant. And in that case, you wouldn't have to give away any equity. Um, then, of course, uh, there is debt financing. So when you literally take out a loan, again, you don't have to give away any equity. But of course, you have to pay back that loan. So yeah. you're putting yourself in debt, um, which is often not done by startups, at least that I mm -hmm. see, because they would prefer not to be in debt, right? <laughs> um, but again, that's a, maybe a tactic, depending on the type of startup you have, that might be worth considering. Then, of course, you have things like crowdfunding, you know, you, where you, you, you might all know Kickstarter or the likes, you know, if you have a product, for example, and you want to raise money for that, then you can have everyone essentially on that platform invest as little as maybe 10 pounds, euros, dollars, whatever, yeah. and um, be part of your growth journey as a, as a startup. Um, and uh, that's also interesting, an interesting way. And then you also have to give equity, but you give away uh, generally, usually a package of equity to a to a platform, and they distribute it to all the little investors that you then have, and you build a community. Um, and then you, of course, VC funding, which I just explained uh, before. Here again, you give away equity, but hopefully, you also get a lot of support from the VC, the venture capital firm that invested in you through their network, um, their you know other portfolio companies, in order to enhance your potential partnerships, etc. Yeah, I and mean, it's interesting that you mentioned crowdfunding. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about it because we're talking about VC right now, but that's one of the, like the, the main examples that people give of like Web3 based smart contracts kind of having these, I think they typically call them DAOs where everyone can contribute to, to something online and you remove middlemen and you kind of get a level of efficiency that you would typically get from like, you know, a crowdsourcing platform and actually remove the, the middlemen in that. Um, but you, you've hinted at it. I think a lot there. What is the role that you think VC plays in society? You know, what benefit does it add? I think it's kind of, you, you've kind of explained it in, in some ways there, but could you like define it for us, please? 
Absolutely. I mean, obviously there are also cons, right? It's on not all perfect, but I would say in terms of pros and benefits to answer your, your question directly, um, it's often really not just funding. And obviously funding is important, right? Because mm -hmm. if you're a startup and you want to build your idea, um, you often don't come in with a lot of personal funds. Mm. Um, and maybe they're also gobbled up pretty quickly. Um, and if you want to hire the best people into your team, if you want to use tools that, you know, make your work processes more efficient, they often all cost money. So a VC giving you a decent amount of money um, is, of course, a benefit that it provides. However, the big benefit that, in my opinion, a venture capital fund should provide to its startups in its portfolio is more than that. It's knowledge, it's support, it's mm -hmm. a sparings partner. It's um, also access to the other portfolios in their portfolio. So in their, the other portfolios they've invested in to make it a bit clearer yeah. um, are kind of all part of an ecosystem, right? And if you are kind of coming in as a new company in that portfolio of this VC, they should be able to provide you with introductions, mm -hmm. with um, the ability to easily get access to mentoring or to speak to other other companies that are potentially a bit further along in their journey mm. in your portfolio but even beyond that to other investors in your network to other companies in your network to shareholders or mm. limited partners that have invested into the fund that might have a you know vested interest in helping the startup grow a vc should be able to make these connections and help mm -hmm. you you know mm -hmm. suggest to you pathways for growth and, and enable you to get in, in contact with beneficial partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that mean there's a kind of a, a, is it quite competitive to be a venture capitalist? Are you like always pitching for, because uh, I've always thought of venture capitalists, okay, there must be a bunch of startups pitching to you guys that say like, oh, please fund me. But actually if there's lots of different VCs with these different networks and different things they can offer, is, is, there, some, is there a lot of competition for you guys as well? It's an interesting question because I would argue, um, and I used to be a consultant and that used to be my favorite phrase, it depends. Um, <laughs> and uh, it depends a little bit on the market conditions, right? Mm. In the Web3 space at the moment, I would say we have uh, a bear market, so not a great environment. And a lot of funding has dried up. So really startups are really struggling to fundraise so mm -hmm. at the moment for a vc it's a really good time to invest because valuations are lower and mm -hmm. there's not as much competition the hype is gone you have more time to do due diligence you have more options to get into mm -hmm. pretty much any deal um, that you like to a certain degree um, so at the moment is is more the startups pitching the VCs and and hoping that they will receive investment because money has dried up, right? So there's actually a lot more supply in terms of startups than um, than demand in terms of VCs wanting or being able to to put lots of money into the market, even though they should be, and a lot of them are because this is a really good time to invest because you know the upside potential when the next bull market yeah. comes is really high. Um, but of course, when there's a bull market, so, you know, uh, when uh, the every money is being poured in and there's this hype, you know, um, so let's say 
2021, the last one, uh, you could argue, you know, everyone was so excited about Web3. There was a, right now we're seeing a meme coin frenzy, but um, <laughs> back then, you know, we've had NFTs and games and metaverse yeah. and DeFi <laughs> and everything exploding and here a new layer one blockchain and here a layer two and whatever. And in that respect, I would say, um, it was a lot of the time that VCs couldn't get into deals because they were oversubscribed mm -hmm. and um, decisions had to be basically made overnight um, or even faster if an, a VC wants to be participating in this current funding round. So I would argue in some cases, not all, but oftentimes in, in a more bullish market sentiment, the startups actually have the, mm -hmm. uh, the power if they're very kind of popular startups to choose which investors they want in, um, which to be fair, I think is probably obviously not my preferred, uh, my preferred way of living, but it is a better situation for the startup because I think the startup should have the ability um, to also do their due diligence on the VC, right? Because they should not give away equity ideally to venture capital funds that are not helping them and not providing them with those intros and not providing them with, you know, being yeah. a sparing partner and uh, and a real, you know, addition to the team, but just a money giver um, and just kind of a marketing vehicle, because I don't think that that's enough. Yeah, I, it's really interesting that you say that about the last bull, bull market and how much hype there was around certain things. Like I, I remember there being this period where it seemed that if you just put the word Solana in your in your pitch deck, then you were definitely going to get a lot of money thrown at you. <laughs> but maybe these are from people who are, you know, more opportunistic um, funders who aren't necessarily going to be the best business partner. They're not looking at the long term. They were just, you know, having a bet on the fact that Solana was going to grow, right? Yeah. And I mean, right now you could argue that AI is that word, um, <laughs> right? Artificial intelligence, that phrase that... Uh, um, is often now put on on pitch decks um, because there's a little bit more interest in AI and that uh, GPT and Bard and uh, all the other you know tools mid journey etc that are used um, by the broad range uh, of mm -hmm. people across you know just Web two internet users seem to have you know created again a hype cycle around AI so also. Um, AI, I would say, is also a building block of Web3. It's not just the blockchain, right? There's also artificial intelligence, mm. in my opinion, that is a building block within uh, creating the new or the next era of the internet. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, therefore, a lot of the pitch decks were changed from being something related with metaverse, which, you know, seems to be a complete uh, no-no right now to um, now it's an AI virtual reality um, startup rather than a metaverse startup. And all of a sudden there's again interest. So it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting market to be in because in the end, you know, there's very, very smart people in this industry, but of course it's a very young industry. So I would argue most people or maybe even nobody knows um, <laughs> how the future is going to look. So everyone has an opinion. And of mm. course, the popular opinion is often a little bit easier to justify than a completely rogue opinion um, in a situation where you don't have that much data to base your opinion on.
Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up AI. Like we just recorded uh, our episode on AI and the overlaps between AI and Web3. And like you say, there was a lot of hype, a lot of speculation around Web3, but some of the benefits weren't that tangible. It was quite hard because a lot of the, the kind of the field concentrated on the technology at the kind of the detriment of the user focus and the user centricity. And that is something that we saw with the boom of ChatGPT. They focus so much on user centricity. And that is why we think this is a massive shift because everyday users can really like understand and gain the benefits very easily. And we, we do want to come to the AI versus Web3 aspect a bit later. But obviously, this is a Web3 podcast. And um, we brought you on here because you, you know, you're a VC in the Web3 space. And you, you've hinted and talked about it a little bit. But what does Web3 VC look like? What are the kind of things that you invest in, you know, related to Web3 right now? Yeah, so, I mean, we are um, kind of specific in some ways. So not every VC will give you the same answer. But mm -hmm. for um, Tokenta's investment, it's really at the moment a, um, a focus very much on financial services, Web3 infrastructure, mm -hmm. as well as core infrastructure players. Uh, the reason for that is that uh, Tokentos has a lot of shareholders and a lot of these shareholders are also um, part of the German banking and institutional um, network, right? And very senior um, as well as, you know, leadership uh, board mm -hmm. level member positions. Therefore, the network that we can provide um, into the German as well as DACH region market is very, very beneficial for the startup. So we try to invest in Web3 players, um, blockchain-related startups that are utilizing blockchain technology is what I mean with that, mm -hmm. um, that are kind of playing in an area where our network, our expertise really has a value add to them, which means we don't uh, look at uh, most of the time um, as a broad rule of thumb, we don't really look at entertainment. So gaming, NFT related marketplaces, for example, or um, things like social. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think these are still really, really interesting areas. And I think that many, many VCs in the Web3 space, you know, do have a focus on these more, let's yeah. say, entertainment and, and retail. Um, but we focus really more on the infrastructure specifically for financial services um, okay. area. And it's interesting because I don't know if it's that maybe like financial services and say, I don't know, these bastions of old are a bit more risk averse. And we kind of in the episodes we'd recorded around NFTs and tokenization, all this kind of stuff. You see that the gaming sector is really pushing hard. And I don't know if it's because maybe the, the benefits are more tangible. You know, people kind of understand the value of owning tokens in games. So it's a bit more relatable for everyday users. But do you kind of like look ahead and say, okay, even though we're not investing in these things right now in the gaming sector, I wonder if in five, 10 years, the same principles that apply in gaming right now to NFTs will work in the financial sector as well? It's a good question. I mean, I do think that, you know, gaming is, um, or gamification, let's say, mm. is a, um, a strong potential for wider adoption mm -hmm. of, you know, blockchain technology and decentralization and, you know, uh, the payments related aspect of in-game purchases through crypto mm -hmm. um, and making this all more efficient, making it immediate, making it uh, um, more interesting for the players as well. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's definitely the, the case. And I think it's coming more and more. My, my current opinion, however, is that the current Web3 games, at least that I've seen, 
are not very fun to play. They're <laughs> yeah. not very good. They, they're not, they don't rival, right? The mm. web games um, that are out there and that are constantly evolving. But even the old ones that, you know, were played 10 years ago, they're still played, right? Because they're, people are nostalgic about them. They love them. And I think that that's a little bit, um, it's difficult to rival that with the current level um, in the Web3 space. However, mm -hmm. it is constantly evolving. It's not something that I focus my time on a lot, but I obviously do see um, a bit of this and I do see yeah. that it's getting better and better. Um, and I do think that there's a lot of you know, overlap. Um, my vision for the future would of course be that you know, the blockchain technology powers a lot of underlying mm -hmm. verticals, right? From the financial services space, so really making payments more efficient, cross-border payments, settlement, et cetera, right? All of that eradicating a lot of um, fraud and illicit activity mm -hmm. from cash. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's so much potential there and also creating so much efficiencies, right? Because banks are relatively rigid in, in their ways of working. Yeah. There's a lot of inefficiencies. So this technology can actually enhance a lot of that is done in the financial services industry. But that, of course, also then means in other verticals, such as, you know, social and, and things mm -hmm. like um, influencers and, and royalties in the music industry, for example, or in the arts world in general. Um, there's a lot of ability here for the blockchain technology and this whole ethos of decentralization and um basically rewarding those who actually created, right, that piece of art yeah. or that piece of music um, in a fair way is also something that I think, you know, blockchain technology can power um, and make, you know, the future really, really interesting um, and, yeah, and create a lot of efficiencies. And gaming as well, right? Gaming, yeah. you know, we have so many use cases for, for gaming, for gamification, um, and uh, I think we're we're moving in in those directions, but my honest opinion is that we're not there yet, right? And I think yeah. before we're at a place where we're from a regulatory standpoint, um, in the situation or or yeah, in in the right my frame of mind mm -hmm. um, and knowledge and education level. I think we probably have like five to 10 years to go, right? Before a lot of these things are actually, um, a lot of these verticals or industries are actually powered by blockchain. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, you, you're completely right there. The, the, the kind of the premise of the paradigm shift that blockchain introduces across all sectors is the removal of inefficiencies, right? The removal of unnecessary intermediaries. And like you say, although you know NFTs and gaming right now, you might not see the applications to the financial sector immediately, the underlying principle is the same. It's the removal of inefficiencies. And I think, yeah, you're totally right. Like all of those we kind of realized eventually in almost every sector. And I'm glad that you spoke about, you know, the web two versus web three in gaming. I'm a massive web two gamer and you're completely right. I'm not switching over to Web3 games anytime soon, even if I fundamentally like what they're offering. But to relate it back to your world, how does you know VC in investing in Web3 differ, do you think, from VC investing in Web2? Is there a difference in mindset? Is there a difference in approach? I would say absolutely. Um, and uh, I think there's a few reasons. The, the first reason is essentially... Um, you're 
in the Web3 space, you have more than one investment um, vehicle or mm -hmm. focus point. You have equity, but you also have tokens. And that's a fundamental difference, right? Because mm -hmm. in a Web2 investment, you essentially get shares in a startup for the amount of money that you put in based on a certain valuation that is mm -hmm. usually calculated by, for example, cash flows, right? Yeah. Um, multiple of cash flows. Um, and um, yeah, that's 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 pretty straightforward. It's been done for, for many, many years. We mm -hmm. all know how it works. Um, but now we have this new thing in the Web3 space, which are tokens, which is essentially, you know, the, the native cryptocurrency of the project or the cryptocurrency used by the project, let's say, in order as, as part of their decentralized nature of its decentralized mm -hmm. nature. So as an investor, often you have the fundamental question you have to ask yourself, where is the value of this project accrued? Mm -hmm. Is the value accrued in the equity? So for example, it's a um, the IP rights are sitting in, in the you know central entity um, or the um, the team is really the biggest maybe value add um, mm. and there is no real token component yeah. with this because it's an API or something to connect blockchains, for example, or something like that, right? You, you, the, the, you can you find reasons for what makes the value be held in the equity. But then, of course, a lot of these projects that are specifically decentralized, and I know we talked about DAOs very briefly at the beginning, you know, there you could argue the governance or so the voting potential, your actual ability to contribute to the project in a DAO, for example, as well as in, in any project, for example, also in the decentralized finance space, a lot of the argument is that the, the actual value is accrued in the token and because mm -hmm. that is used as the payment method yeah. within the space, right, within that project. Um, that's where the yield is generated, for example, and what you receive in return for staking your um, your your coins, your tokens uh, within the protocol, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I don't want to get too too technical because I know we're we're trying to keep this relatively um, easily explainable. But the the crux of my answer here is um, you have two different things in the Web three space as a VC investor that you can invest in, and they are fundamentally different. Okay. And there's a there's a question about where is the value coming from for this yeah. project? Is it equity? Is it token? Is it both? Mm. Can you should you participate in both equity and tokens in order to really make your investment mm -hmm. um, the most you know valuable, yeah. the most successful? Um, and that's something that Web two investors don't have to spend their time evaluating. Mm. Mm. That's really interesting, right? Because yeah. You, you're kind of investing in the when you talk about the token side and we can get into kind of the difference between you know are you investing in something that's purely an exchange token or is it a utility token and then you know as you're saying you might only invest in something that you can perceive utility for that's a whole different consideration to what you have in a normal investment you're not just betting on the company you're also betting potentially on the infrastructure you know if a company is built purely on ethereum or purely on solana then you're also in some sense taking a bet on the long-term health of that of that underlying blockchain. I mean, where, where does it sit for you at, at Tokentus? Is there a sweet spot where you tend to invest between the, the two options? So we are kind of an equity first investor still. So we, mm -hmm. um, we do always want some equity in the company, um, but we then also do so-called token warrants. So options for future purchase of tokens. And um, often the case is that 
a startup doesn't have a token yet, right? They are, when we invest in them, which is pre-seed to series A, but a lot of the pre-seed and seed companies, you know, they are only in the process of thinking about this pretty difficult question around how to create tokenomics. So token economics that are actually going to be valuable and, and, and work, right? Mm. So often they say they have an idea, they maybe already have a, a platform of some sorts, but they do not have the, the token economy completely mapped out. So what we do is then invest in the equity, have the option for the token warrant, and then help them um, think about this, um, as well as then have the later option uh, as a benefit to invest into the token when it is launched or before it is launched in a so-called private sale. Um, but then um, a lot of the time we also, for example, in, in older or, or later stage companies, you know, we do still want some equity first, but then we might buy the token as well, or we might do follow on rounds into the token. So the first round we might have an equity, but then, you know, we might say when they're raising again, we support them again and invest in the token. Mm -hmm. We invest um, in the next round. You know what I mean? So it yeah, depends yeah. a little bit. Um, but of course, there are other VCs in the Web3 space that are purely focused on tokens. And a, a big um, argument that they often have is the fact that it's much easier to exit that position as well. So not in terms of pumping and dumping, that should never be <laughs> the value add, that should never be the focus, but more in terms of, you know, if you've, if you've invested a million, for example, and then the token goes up 10x and all of a sudden your million is worth 10 million you might mm. sell 5 million of that bring it back into your end of your pot of money and, and invest it in further startups um or or pay out you know your your limited partners the people that gave you money in the first place to to invest um so that's of course a, a good argument and a value add this industry has you don't have to wait as long if you invest in tokens not always but often um as when you invest in equity when you need a you know for example a buyout or an ipo in order to receive your re return on on investment or, or sell them mm. on secondaries or something like that um but we do like equity because we are coming from a traditional background and um it is something that we can understand better i would say um as well as the tokens don't necessarily give you legal rights um to the product or the company that kind of issued the tokens in the first place, um, which uh, again, it depends on the project, but the project that we tend to invest in, um, the value is often in, in the central entity um, where you know the IP lies as well. Yeah, that makes sense. I, it's really interesting actually, I hadn't considered that the advantage for investors of the token side, but it sounds like that might be a downside for the actual projects themselves. If you know you, you, the investment is highly liquid, someone could take all their money out very quickly if they like the, the increase in price. Is that like a source of instability then for, the, for those kind of projects? I mean, the projects usually have so-called vesting schedules, right? So that you um, don't, you, you're not, as soon as they, um, the tokens are listed, uh, everybody who bought into them previously can, can immediately sell them. But they have like two years, for example, vesting schedules. I mean, things vary, but... So you basically commit to not selling for two years, but then these vesting schedules over time, they end, right? And then, of course, once these um, abilities to sell open up to your investors, then, you know, really, really a good investor should then not just 
throw all the tokens back on the market and therefore, you know, um, dump the dump the tokens and therefore slash the price and potentially really, really hurt the project and other investors and other believers and partners in the project. But of course, and that does happen, um, not necessarily from, from VCs or only from VCs, but just from, you know, in, investors in this space because it is still a speculative asset, right? Um, so, of course, people want to make money a lot of the times in this space. Um, but a good VC, you know, usually would um, do this very strategically and exit their position in a strategic manner that does not hurt the company and that does not, you know, um, that's not noticeable to to other investors and the company itself. But of course, the world is not perfect. Mm. Yeah, that make, that makes sense. Um, I maybe want to spend a bit of time talking about, you know, you've mentioned infrastructure is your your, your focus at Tokendas. And that, for me, that's really interesting because, you know, I think you're getting at the idea of blockchain and Web3 as utility, as almost sometimes we would describe it as like plumbing. It's going to be this infrastructure like the internet, like TCP IP. You know, it's this thing that is, is long and stable and powers everything <laughs> we do on the internet, right? And I think maybe you have a similar thesis at Tokentis to what we think is that blockchain will be this underlying protocol that powers all sorts of things. So maybe if you can kind of describe when you say you're looking at investments on the infrastructure side, what kind of thing constitutes infrastructure in, in your book? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think primarily, you know, it, for us, it is a little bit in this financial services and um, area aspect because we are because our value add of our network of our knowledge lies you know within that space however um we also you know i would say invest in in infrastructure players such as um platforms that enable you know value creation um or problem solving such as scalability right or mm -hmm. data management or um, even community management, or um, providing banking uh, abilities for crypto startups, or um, enabling um, different blockchains uh, to be able to talk to each other, right? Um, through mm. uh, an API that enables the connection between blockchains, and then you are able to, for example, um, sell tokenized assets uh, between different networks, uh, just like the SWIFT network uh, right now allows us to send money between different banks, right? Different bank accounts. Mm -hmm. So I would say those um, that that constitutes infrastructure for me. Now, of course, um, the the broader definition that most people I think would say um, is layer one. So basically, the blockchain base layers. They are from let's put it from layer zeros to layer ones to layer. Mm to layer threes um, and to, for example, bridges, um, which are often hacked. But you know what I mean? <laughs> Essentially, um, building blocks or thing, um, aspects around, you know, solving the problems about MEV, maximum extractable value, or solving uh, zero knowledge um, technology, solving problems like uh, digital identity or scalability issues. Um, of course, there are also quite a few issues around that, but um, let's not get into that. But, you know, building blocks, new technological advancements, roll-ups, um, different types of roll-ups, what are they used for? And, yeah. um, you know, those, I would say, all of those aspects that I've just mentioned, and at least my personal definition, constitute as infrastructure of the Web3 space. 
So you've talked about like, um, you know, investing mostly or around projects for financial services, targeted at financial services. And I want to speak about challenges in the Web3 space generally. But before we get there, what are some of the, the specific challenges you find around, around Web3 projects specifically targeted towards financial services? You mentioned a bit about, you know, regulation, risk aversion, these things. Like what are some, what's the experience you've had with Web3 projects in these sectors? You know, my, my honest opinion here is that um, the feeling I get is like everybody wants to have a toe in the door. It's not a foot, it's just the toe. And mm. everyone's kind of investing a little bit, right? We're seeing um, BlackRock with a big investment in Circle a, a, quite mm. a while ago when, you know, Larry Fink was still saying blockchain or, or crypto is terrible, Bitcoin mm. or God of God. And then um, now he's basically the CMO um, advocating um, for, for, but let's not go there. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, long story short, I mean, you know, a lot of the big banks, a lot of the financial services institutions, they have done investments into blockchain powered or blockchain related projects. Um, they have invested in, in, in tech uh, aspects around that. Um, maybe not a DAO, but, you know, mm -hmm. something that um, uh, enables uh, payments, uh, faster payments or efficiency and, and therefore cost savings, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that we've seen that quite a lot. But of course, there is still a bit of this. We do not want to be associated with um, the crypto space because of uh, previous massive scandals, which are obviously um, very detrimental, such as FTX, such as Celsius, such, such as Three Arrows Capital, um, you name it, right? I could keep on listing things, but uh, we don't want to be reminded of all the negatives. But um, essentially, there's also been a few difficulties. And without, you know, a good, valuable framework in the regulatory sense, um, it's very hard, I think, for large institutions that, you know, the general public puts their trust in to go head first and more than a toe into this um, into this space because it's a storming and norming kind of phase we're still in right we're still trying to find our feet we're still trying to get rid of the bad actors um we're still trying to find the right regulatory environment we're still trying to educate um and 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 figure out you know how do you even educate how do you make simple uh, mm -hmm. What do people need to know versus not know about what is underlying and powering, you know, new apps, for example. And I think that that's a, a lot of this still needs to grow and get better and be more efficient and more effective and have maybe more clever, you know, thought processes, minds, time spent on it before big um, institutions, specifically financial institutions, actually can say we advocate for this tech we advocate for this space um we we make big investments in it um because you know we we still have a bit to go but that being said i mean look at blackrock now look at jp morgan mm. um with its uh, onyx uh, blockchain um and many investments in the space uh so i think we are moving in the right direction but you know i'm not a strong advocate for going head first, not doing your mm. due diligence, um, sure. spending a lot of money on things that are, um, you know, rug pulls or, or meme coins or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it is actually okay 
to double check and turn a few pages, you know, back and forth a few times mm-hmm. um, to make sure that, you know, that also the general public is protected from, you know, situations where they don't have the full information because they just can't. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up some of the stuff around BlackRock and in my mind, sometimes the hypocrisy that, you know, at the high level, they'd be saying, you know, these things are dead. They're never going to come to light. And, you know, on the side, they'd be investing in companies, not directly investing in, in, say, you know, cryptocurrencies themselves, but they'd be investing in companies that are based on cryptocurrencies, all this kind of stuff. And now we're seeing that more and more they are starting to advocate for these things. But I think, yeah, a big part of that, like you said, is around the regulation. And it's always the way, right? Regulation is always playing catch up with technology and it's never going to be there for, for the early adopters. But hopefully, I mean, government seems to be taking note and slowly moving towards regulation. I mean, the whole thing with the SEC, right, it's, it's quite entertaining to an extent, worrying also to an extent. But it seems like they are slowly getting to grips with things. And this kind of relates me to, to my next um, question on, on challenges or maybe even opportunities for Web3 that's related to regulation as well. Is around AI. How do you see, I kind of mentioned it earlier, how do you see AI affecting web3 and vice versa or web3 affecting ai right now you mentioned the hype cycle things but what do you think you know short term and even even long term so it i think i mean there's there's many ways you could answer this question but the way that i would answer it is i think that um artificial intelligence creates a lot of shortcuts right and therefore enables a lot of movement um for example Um, it's getting quite good at creating code or finding issues in code or um, helping even with, you know, um, uh, marketing aspects, et cetera, et cetera. But just focusing on the code as the example, um, all of a sudden things can be developed much faster. Developers that are very expensive and very few of them that are senior in a lot of the the blockchain uh, programming languages um, now or will be, we are moving towards, I think, in a place where a lot of those extra people can be replaced through AI because the AI can actually finish some of the code or, mm-hmm. you know, untangle mm-hmm. some of the code or review some of the code yeah. that previously, you know, only really a relatively small amount of people can actually do slash read slash improve. Mm-hmm. Um, so that i think creates pros and cons the pros of course being things can deploy it faster you know you 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 need less manpower um to to create uh, blockchain related infrastructure which is the underlying infrastructure powering the web3 etc etc as as well as of course applications on top um but it also has the issue that it creates more in transparency so mm-hmm. In my opinion, the decentralized net or or Web3, the beauty about it is that it's so transparent and it's so open and it's decentralized and everyone can have a say and everybody can point out what you're doing is not right, right? And mm-hmm. like here we need to we need to make sure that exploitation doesn't happen, for example. Um, or I want to have a say. I don't think we should be doing this. I think we should be doing that, right? And then that's... Yeah. Um, that's the beauty of of a lot of it, and in, in my in the philosophical way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, but of course, once you start having AI writing and um, code or impacting information that is seen as transparent or correct, 
for example, in terms of like oracles um, right now taking static data from off-chain and putting them mm. on, putting it on-chain, you know, all of those um, moving parts, if they're infiltrated by AI that is seen as the truth, right, yeah. and the code is seen yeah. as correct, but AI is a black box, right? Mm. Artificial intelligence is fed is created through algorithms and the algorithms are fed with data and the data is then you know and, and these algorithms learn and then they spit out kind of information in, in the end let's say right yeah. and um we don't really know this algorithm we don't really we can't really see what's happening there and a lot of the time we don't know what data comes into this algorithm mm -hmm. so we don't often know what the the answer that it spits out that it's really the truth right or that it's yeah. really non-biased let's say and that's quite mm. hard to get right so any little kind of bug or problem that can be kind of put into the code because the ai somehow creates this um and i'm obviously this is a very niche example but i'm saying that there can be now new ways of making a very transparent or should be very transparent thing into something very intransparent potentially mm -hmm. because we're using ai to kind of fill in some of the gaps um of course you can argue a human can also program them in right but open source code etc yeah. etc so i think we're just um we're creating a few more open doors for potential um you know malfunctions or problems yeah, yeah. lots of information and um that's a little bit worrying to me uh but in essence um i do think that there is a bit of an overlap right um ai to be used for mm. movement and um development of the web3 space in general as well as maybe even popularity right a, a good written uh, marketing copy from an ai robot is better than any uh, marketing copy i've ever written <laughs> so um, yeah i mean so I, I think the genie is out of the bottle with ai right like it's kind of all the issues that you've just mentioned around not knowing you know what data sets are feeding the algorithms and how things are computing all the errors that could occur and misinformation all these terrible things it's kind of, in some ways, it's inevitable. And it's kind of already happened because people are accessing this right now. And we're already seeing that ChatGPT, like the accuracy of ChatGPT is already degrading massively because of all the input data and incorrect data sets and they're being used on a daily basis to correct it. I guess what, in the episode, we were talking about AI and Web3 in the overlap. We saw a lot of benefits of Web3 being used to kind of safeguard AI, you know, for example, how do you know that your data is being used in a certain way? You know, you apply Web3 principles, data sovereignty, all this kind of stuff. So you can mm -hmm. consent to how, how the AI is actually using your data, for example. Have you seen many companies? We kind of have talked that AI and Web3 kind of technology developers, all these kind of things, they've worked in kind of isolation for a long time. And it's only really been in the last like, well, five years, maybe, that we've started to see overlap between these, these two disparate fields. Have you seen many startups? Have you invested in any startups that are starting to like kind of bring these two principles together and realize values from AI and Web3 and the other one? I mean, you could argue that, you know, OpenAI um, now with WorldCoin um mm. has, a, has a clear uh overlap because uh the same uh, ceo or or leader um yeah. is uh is you know running or the figurehead of, of both of these projects one of them being a uh let's say blockchain um web3 uh, project and mm. and one of them being a, a 
AI project, the company behind the AI project that we yeah. all know, right? Um, so that's just a, as a as a as a really, I mean, clear example. But in terms of um, what we see, honestly, um, not as much. Um, mm -hmm. We see a lot of uh, zk machine learning related, uh, mm -hmm. like research yeah. and uh, projects being. Um, powered by, thought about, uh, as I've, I've recently been to a hackathon where I think three of the, the groups um, were all, you know, so clever people or filled with such clever mm. people um, talking about uh, zero knowledge machine learning and mm -hmm. how this can help with, you know, a data storage and uh, um, data efficiency creation and whatnot way over my head because I'm not a computer <laughs> scientist. Um, but um, I, that was fascinating to see, right? How already there's um, in in the in the developer um, or in the more technical engineering space, how this so many principles or building blocks are kind of starting to be combined. Mm. A lot of it's also buzz, right? But yeah. still um, being combined to now think, okay, what can we do with that? Can we make things even more efficient, even more scalable? Mm. Um, it can, can uh, faster, <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, <laughs> from our project, I mean, one of our projects in the, in the portfolio, they're actually using um, also, um, a, I guess, zero knowledge uh, proofs uh, mm. to verify workflows. So, for example, um, when a company says, you know, we, we do this, this, and this process, they can use cryptography to verify um, that this is actually what happens with, for example, data, which then mm. is also valuable for um, potentially using it for AI uh, data. So what data is fed mm. into the algorithm, mm. kind of proving that the sources are not bias or that they are really what the company says they are feeding the algorithm with. Yeah. Um, so that's an interesting one because it's cryptography that essentially creates a, a statement or a proof or an audit, let's say, of data that's being fed uh, with a kind of proof on the blockchain, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. so that companies or even in, in terms of, you know, being able to say, um, I don't know, um this algorithm is not changed for a certain yeah. amount of time or whatever it may be um but i think these are early days um mm. otherwise uh we've really in our portfolio at least i haven't seen that much um ai overlap but i also have to say sometimes when companies tell me like we are a um AI, um, we use ai to generate recommendations for um, I don't know, um, influencers and <laughs> their backgrounds and what people want to see. And then the influencers get remunerated through crypto when they join our social app. And All I'm the like, buzzwords. Wow, that sounds phenomenal. Um, but uh, what, what, why would somebody really use this? Like, okay, they get recommendations and then they get paid because they have viewers. But do you need Web3 for this, right? Do you need blockchain for this? Do you need AI for this? Or, you know, is it good customer research and um, and a loyalty point system? Um, so I think that's where um, I'm sometimes a bit skeptical 
because yeah. we, we get thrown at as, as VCs, you know, a lot of these buzzwords. Um, whereas a lot of the time I ask the founders, do you actually need this yeah, technology yeah. for it? Or is this really something you can use Web2 uh, mechanisms for? Um, yeah. And uh, what good does the does the AI do for you? Because a lot of the time it's just kind of forking or taking data from ChatGPT, um, <laughs> which then again, how how innovative really is that? And I think that's a big question mark we still yeah. need to figure out. I love that approach so much because you, you completely see it all the time. People will just say blockchain or Web3 and you'll be like, okay, I see that you're using it, but what's the actual benefit to the user? Why does the user care? And I think generally this has, has been an issue with Web3. The benefits to users are quite intangible. And like we said, I think this is why AI is kind of boomed because the benefits yeah. to ChatGPT are very tangible. And I think this is something the industry really is hope, hopefully moving their focus towards is how do users benefit from Web3? And I think that's kind of what excites me, hopefully, is that we are seeing that user centric what do you guys think like what's your take i mean you've uh, you've had people talking about ai you have me now talking a little bit about uh, venture capital and web3 what's your thoughts on the overlap and maybe even the the overall industry in in web3 are, are you bullish are you bearish um what's what, from all the knowledge you've gathered and the chats you've had where do you stand at the moment yeah i mean it's a good question i definitely would also just on the last point you know you made People have often talked about blockchain as kind of being a, a hammer looking for a nail, right? For, for many, many years. And it's something people will, will keep saying is a solution, but, you know, to which problem? Um, and I think, yeah, I, I'm very bullish in general on Web3 in terms of the underlying technology. I, I do very much see it as an enabler for lots of the things that, we, that we'd like to solve um, in terms of, you know, what challenges we have for the internet. I personally think the most exciting area is in is in micropayments, is in all the different incentive mechanisms we can have around micropayments. I think a lot mm -hmm. of the problems, you know, if you just think about the consumer and how the general person uses the internet, most of the problems with that tend to be around, you know, being on social media, having to look at advertising all the time, uh, your data being sold, uh, seeing all these, these Twitter bots or X bots, as they're now called. You know, the, these kind of things are all things where micropayments and Web3 infrastructure, like digital identity that you mentioned, I think these are the exact tools we need. And again, you, you're talking about zero knowledge proof. I saw you also um, were invested in uh, a company doing multi-party computation, right? There are some really interesting, these are really advanced concepts in cryptography that can be achieved, used to achieve some incredible things for users, you know, like the types of things you can prove and pr preserve your privacy at the end of the day. That's what they're really allowing you to do is, is ph phenomenal. It's almost like magic, right? A lot of these things. Um, but I think at the moment, yeah, we're still in that phase where the promise is very large and we need to see consumer level applications rescale, really take off. We need to see a Web3 application have its chat GPT moment, I think, before we really know it's going to make it. <laughs> Yeah, I think you stole my answer because I also, I think mm -hmm. micropayments is one of the most exciting things. Mm -hmm. But just to give another answer, because we're talking about AI a lot, I think, like I said, Genie is at the bottom with AI. It's going to reach the mass. It's already reaching the masses right now, right? I think that it's going to come into our lives every single day. I think everyone's going to experience some form of chat GPT in the Western world on you know a daily basis. I use it regularly right now. And I think that because this this rocket has taken off, 
I don't think people are really seeing what the the risks are. Say maybe that the, the kind of the users of it right now are seeing what the potential risks are. But I think we're going to realize this. I think a lot a lot of issues we're going to experience will be around deep fakes, about misinformation, and the bar of quality of deep fakes will be raised significantly. And it's going to be really hard to control this. And the most obvious application of blockchain to that is around provenance, is around linking, you know, the content that's created using zero knowledge proof, the technology that we've been speaking about a fair bit now, uh, to the original creator of that and proving intrinsically that something is from that creator or isn't from that creator. And that doesn't, like I've said in the previous episode, mean it has to all be human. We can have AI, you know, bots that are actually beneficial and people want to follow them. But it's all about ensuring provenance and an actual genuine link to, to the creator and i think yeah i'm really excited about how web3 can be applied to ai and there's lots of other things like payment rails yeah. that i get quite excited about and like proving data inputs and all this kind of stuff but yeah that's what i think is, is most exciting for me yeah, yeah i love your answer what are you most excited for mona i'm curious because you've kind of you've mentioned so many different fields and you've got your professional hat on but maybe what personally what is there something that you're especially excited for in web3 Honestly, I, I really love your answers because I think that that it's it's very um it's it's very true. I agree with you, right? With both of you, what you've said, and um, I am excited that I think what what we will see is a lot of the you know emerging markets as well being able to use um, crypto or blockchain payment rails for making their lives much better, much easier and providing a lot of opportunities for emerging markets um, to you know, make new income, participate in, 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 in like, let's say more financial services related economies um, that are, you know, have more um, money or um, you know, have, have more investment opportunities. Um, also quicker settlement, uh, being able to uh, you know, participate in, in, in the world a little bit more for, for their creations, maybe in terms of whatever they, they craft. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that's going to be, I think that's a very, can be a very, very positive catalyst for making the world a little bit more equal. Um, this banking the unbanked was really, this, this phrase was really the reason why I decided or wanted to dedicate my time um, and commitment fully to this space and also be a very hopefully uh, seen as a very collaborative player in the space. Um, and um, I think that's really exciting. I also think that, you know, blockchain technology can power so many exciting things for us mm. and making them more accessible in terms of UX, UI. So being more user friendly mm. um, is uh, also something I'm quite excited about. We need to overcome this um, everything in the Web3 space is only made for crypto native people <laughs> yeah. and it's only made for techie people. And, uh, you know, even the dashboards I'm shown now um, for, for example, um, you know, DeFi related um, um, projects or, or opportunities, um, even those dashboards, they're really complicated. Right. And the and and the founders tell me, oh, you know, but this is so much easier than um xyz um opportunity out there in the market and you're like yes but it's so much easier because we're used to really hard right <laughs> the general public is used to very easy one button kind of click situation from bank account and so um i think i'm quite excited about not just the infrastructure because i think we still have many problems here interoperability scalability just to name a few security 
you know, really, really, we still have a lot of problems to solve in in just the base layer infrastructure of the of the, mm-hmm. of the new era of the internet. But I'm also excited about the applications that are then being built or also simultaneously built and developed to make them more user friendly so that we all can start participating um, from this technology to make our lives a lot more efficient and effective and more fair. Well, that's a great answer. I think, yeah, we are coming to the end of our show. I think your insight has been great. It's definitely been a perspective, a different perspective from what me and Jack have, a lot more kind of business focused, but that's good because it makes it much more tangible and you're far more, well, you obviously understand the technology quite deeply as well, but it seems like you have a focus towards users, which I think the space is really missing right now and needs. And I think we need people like you in the space. It's quite exciting to speak to you about it. So, we have our last section. We want to ask you a couple of questions, which we ask all our guests. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be very interested to see your answers. So the first question that I have for you is, in one sentence, what is Web3 to you? Web3 to me is the new era or the future of the internet as we know it, which means you can also own your data rather than big tech giants owning your data. That was good. That was concise. Perfect. Usually we have about, we have like people giving 20 line answers, including me and Jack. So that was nice. Um, the second question I have is if you could choose anyone dead or alive to sit down and discuss a web three with, who would it be and why? you're gonna get a really boring answer here but it's a it's a true answer um i would like to sit um with whoever or whichever group or whoever uh uh, satoshi nakamoto is as well as uh, vitalik buterin who is obviously alive and a very big um driving force in this space uh so for those who don't know, um, basically the, the white paper writer of uh, the Bitcoin uh, network, as well as um, the, let's say, one of the founders and, uh, you know, figureheads of the Ethereum uh, network. And um, I would like to discuss with them how, what they really, what they honestly see um right now is it has it developed the way that they've envisioned it when they, you know, started being geniuses in this space um, and where do they see it going? And, um, you know, what do they think those who are not them can do to, um, to, you know, portray and move this forward in the right direction. And I would love to see the debate uh, between the two uh, viewpoints. Of course, um, that is something that, you know, you can argue we do see and you follow crypto Twitter and you follow, um, you know, opinions of, of, of thought leaders in the space, but it would be a phenomenal dinner, I'm sure. <laughs> That's another great answer. So thank you for joining us, Mona, and thank you to those listening wherever you may be. And join us next time as we untangle a little more of Web3. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Untangling Web3, produced by Emma Camilleri. Don't forget to send us your thoughts, questions, and comments on social media. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast provider to catch the next episode. See you next time to untangle a little bit more of Web3.
The views we express here are our own and do not reflect the views of our employers.